Welcome to What You Didn't Expect in Fertility, Pregnancy, and Birth. How we think and feel about this enormous transition often lives in the gap between what we expected and what we actually experienced. This gap exists in part because of how we tend to talk about and portray this event on all kinds of media. In a one-dimensional way, everything was amazing. But it's more often the case that there are beautiful things that happen and at the same time, really challenging things that happen. This show shares true experiences, both the easy parts and the difficult parts, and how we managed what we didn't expect. The intense things that can happen in the course of this transition can impact how you see yourself, how you see your partner, and how you parent. The better we understand what happened to us, the better we can manage all the things that follow. I'm your host, Paulette Kamenica. I'm a writer and an economist and the mother of two girls, and I met many, many challenges in this process, none of which I expected. In today's episode, I finished my conversation with Chantal. We talk about how she used her experience of her first birth to inform how she walked into the second birth. One major change she made was in her research strategy. The second time around, she planned to give birth in a hospital. Knowing that her previous pregnancy put her at risk to experience preeclampsia again, she researched the many things that might ensue if preeclampsia was part of her second pregnancy. And all this research led to a much more empowered birth experience. It also ultimately led to a career change, away from an office job to becoming a doula. We pick up where we left off last week. Chantal has settled into motherhood with her daughter and is considering another pregnancy. When she was around five months, I think is when things started to look up for me. Okay, good. I'm glad. And so where is the your own doula journey on this on this timeline? Like, do you, do you become a doula after this experience? No. So after this experience, my postpartum doula kind of mentioned to me, she's like, oh, you should look into becoming a doula. But at that time in my life, I was still working for a consulting business. And it just seemed like such a far off career from where I was at. It wasn't until my son was born. Oh, oh, there's another one. Okay. So what's the time difference between daughter and son? They are 22 months apart. Okay. It's the same for my kids. Okay. So walking into this pregnancy, you, you now have kind of a history. Do you walk into it easily or how do you make that decision? So I think, I think, well, I definitely did a lot of research on finding the right doctor and I, I found this really great doctor and researched the hospital, researched everything. And I talked to him. I had a consultation. I was like, this is what happened. I hemorrhaged. I had postpartum preeclampsia, my retained placenta. And what would you do? And he walked me through it. He's like, if it happens again, you'll be in the hospital and we can save you. We deal with these things all the time. Because I said, would you ever recommend to have another kid? And he's like, no, I think you can. You can have another baby. So yeah, so I went into that pregnancy much more informed and in a, a better headspace. And the pregnancy was relatively calm. Yeah. And then I did end up getting preeclampsia and getting induced, but it was much better. Okay. Okay. So let's go, let's go more slowly through this. So easy to get pregnant again? Kind of. I did have another couple. I wanted to have another baby and my partner at the time wanted to have another baby. I was still breastfeeding, so I had to stop breastfeeding to kind of balance my hormones. 
How does breastfeeding affect your ability to get pregnant? Well, despite many common myths, you can definitely get pregnant while breastfeeding. But in general, breastfeeding sends signals to the brain to produce prolactin, a hormone that spurs milk production, and prolactin blocks estrogen, the hormone important for, among other things, preparing the lining of your uterus for an embryo. But the effects of prolactin wane over time. The physical process of a baby suckling also increases the production of other hormones that block ovulation and menstruation. But another thing to note is that expressing milk by using a pump doesn't create the same signals for the brain and so doesn't cause the same effect. And I think I I had to take a progesterone to help in the beginning of the pregnancy, but it was relatively easy. I had one or two chemical pregnancies first. And then I ended up getting pregnant with my son in December. Yeah. And then in this pregnancy, are you now on guard or do you enjoy it? How does that go? Well, I was enjoying being pregnant. I kind of felt like I was getting a second chance for the birth. I know a lot of people talk about when they have a traumatic pregnancy and birth. A lot of people feel like it's part of the healing process sometimes of doing it again and feeling more in control. And it going better. So it was very much like that. I felt very in control. I felt very safe. I was medically watched and my medical anxiety was pretty much non-existent at that point. So everything went better and I didn't really, I had some anxiety about things happening again, but I knew I was going to be at the hospital. So I was like, what's the worst that could happen was sort of what I was thinking. (laughs) Okay, good. Okay, good. Right. Um, So it sounds like for the second one, we are not planning a home birth. No, no, no. I I knew I was far too high risk for a home birth and I wouldn't have felt comfortable doing a home birth at that point. Yeah. So I definitely planned a hospital birth for the second one. (laughs) Okay. Let's imagine you didn't have these health factors. Would you have done another home birth? Did you enjoy that experience? Personally, no. Because... Because giving birth and being in labor is such an out-of-control experience, I, I know I got the contrast from being at home and then being at the hospital. I felt very supported at the hospital by the nurses and the doctors. That was a comfort to me. And I didn't necessarily have that with the home birth. So some people feel safer at home. I actually felt safer at the hospital. I would have say I, it was everything went well. I probably would have, but it's hard to say if I never got transferred to the hospital, what I would have done. I realize it's a hard question to answer, but the reason I asked is because it seemed like your decision to have the hospital birth, although obviously because of the medical issues, it's kind of, that's like a very reasonable decision to have. It sounds like you're also making it without much regret. You don't feel like, oh, I wish I could have another home birth. You seem like you're... Yeah. So, so good. So I'm glad that that's an easy choice for you because for some people, they feel like there's a loss in that. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't think so. I I guess it's up to the person, but I did not feel that way. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So the preeclampsia that returns, is that postpartum or is that in the pregnancy? So this one in the pregnancy, I think I was even at my due date. I was like 40 weeks and I was having contractions. I went into the hospital to get checked at triage and my blood pressure was really elevated. And I had told them I do have tendency to get high blood pressure. My doctor knew that, but he ran labs 
And the labs were coming back showing signs of preeclampsia, elevated liver enzymes. So he was like, we can't let you leave. We have to. And I was only one centimeter dilated. So he's like, we're going to have to induce you. So I knew I had done a lot of research because I knew I could potentially get induced if I got preeclampsia again. And I knew this doctor did the Foley induction because I still wanted to go for epidural free. I knew if I got Pitocin, my chances of doing a drunk like epidural free birth were lower. So real quick here, there are a number of ways that doctors can put pressure on the cervix and coax it into dilation. The Foley bulb involves the insertion of a catheter with a balloon-like appendage that slowly fills with saline to open the cervix. Pitocin is a drug that is often used in induction, but it's only used if the cervix is already effaced. Pitocin is a synthetic version of oxytocin that stimulates uterine contractions. But the contractions that are induced by Pitocin can be stronger and closer together than what your body would normally produce, which makes vaginal delivery without medication more challenging. So I did the Foley bulb, which it works. Like I had another relatively quick labor. I think they put the Foley in at 8 a.m. And by noon, I was like five centimeters dilated. Oh, wow. That's quick. Yeah. Yeah, it's quick. Yeah. Good. And so how is the birth? The the birth? The birth was, it was funny because my doctor was on the way and it was so painful and people are probably like why did it was so painful like I was begging my doctor I think I was like seven son weird I was like I don't care like I choose my mind give me the epidural right now and so they had the anesthesiologist come and they're like oh we're busy they're like the anesthesiologist is busy but your doctor's almost here so my doctor is like give her some fentanyl until I get there so they gave me some fentanyl and it felt so good, but it didn't last very long. And I wanted more. And they're like, we can't give you more. You're already nine centimeters. The baby's about to come. And we just gave you some. So my doctor was like, kind of similar situation. We got to get this baby out. So he, he definitely helped the baby come out somehow. I don't know what he did, but I had a relatively quick birth. I good. went from seven to 10 centimeters in 10 minutes or something. Oh, wow. That is quick. Wow. Okay, so baby's born, and then do we, has anybody said you have preeclampsia, or how does that all? No, because my blood pressure remained relatively good, and I'm not sure why. I don't know. Everything was good with the preeclampsia. Oh, I think it was a little bit high throughout the the labor and birth, but nothing alarming where they had yeah. to give me magnesium. But I did end up hemorrhaging again. Um, yeah, retained placenta or no? The placenta came out intact, but as soon as the placenta delivered, I hemorrhaged, and it, to my, my doctor said it was one of the most severe hemorrhages he's ever seen. However, the doctor was right there. Yeah, stopped it within thirty seconds, and then it started up again. But then he stopped it again, and then I was good, and I didn't need any blood transfusion because it was quick. Wow. So yeah, yeah. It was so quick and then my blood pressure stabilized and I was able to leave the hospital in less than 24 hours or I think 24 hours. Yeah. And do they send you home with medication or what what do they do? No, because my blood pressure was already back to normal. I think they gave me some Motrin for the pain, but 
I didn't. Yeah, there was I was all good. Wow. So that's a whirlwind. And you're going through all of it much more quickly than you did the first time, right? Yeah. And even though traumatic things happened, it felt it wasn't as traumatic because it felt much more controlled for me. And my doula was actually traumatized watching my hemorrhage. I was like, well, I didn't see it, but she was yeah. really worried about me. But I was like, you know what? You should have seen last time. This was nothing. It, was, it wasn't so bad. Well, good. I'm glad that you feel safe in the hospital is what it sounds like. Yeah. So that's nice. What's it like when you get home? It was good. I had a lot more support. I had postpartum doula. I had my parents visiting. And I had my daughter. And I also had a babysitter. I had a whole crew around me this time. So I and my health, you know, stayed pretty good. So really supported the second time around because I knew how to prepare, better prepare. It sounds like you were super prepared and and knew everything in terms of, okay, if I get induced, then I might need an epidural because those things go hand in hand, which is really a useful thing to know because... Yeah. So many people I talk to say, I'm going to do it without an epidural and they get induced and they still feel guilty that they right. kind of changed their plan, even though, right. yeah. you know, your plan was not to get induced. So, exactly. yeah. so it's a little bit different. So how does this experience lead into the doula training? Well, yeah, I guess I don't, it's kind of interesting. I don't know what made me want to be a doula. I just reflected on both my births and I was like, you know what? I think that would be awesome to help other women while they're giving birth. I just, I don't know. It just kind of came to me. So I decided when my son was three months to start studying for the doula course certification. And then you became a doula. And how long have you been doing that? Well, I got my certification officially in February. So less than a year. And how's that going? Luckily, you're post-pandemic, right? So, yeah, yeah, it's it's going pretty good. I really love it. You know, it's it's hard to navigate because birth is is a crazy thing, right? You end up seeing some traumatic births and different experiences, so you have to have a lot of self care. And luckily, I have a lot of support, and I've de- I've dealt with a lot of my own traumas, so I feel like I'm able to help people through their experiences. So talk a little bit about that. What have you done for yourself and what do you counsel clients? Yeah, for the Trump, you mean? Yeah, like the hard parts of birth, right, that you don't expect. Yeah, so for me, I think talking about it really helps. So I think sharing your story, things like this podcast, or there's different birth trauma groups, or I, I definitely got therapy after my daughter's birth. I had a therapist just to sort of process everything that had happened. And it only took me about three months of therapy to feel that I really processed it, you know? So I'm a big advocate for just talking about your story, getting therapy, doing as much research as you can to feel more informed so you can feel more in control when you're in that experience. Yeah, and it sounds like what I've heard you say a couple times is that that is kind of an outer body experience, right? So you, right. you you will have to relinquish your sense of control to some degree exactly. to just let it happen. Exactly, yeah. And, and have you had to do any particular caretaking of yourself with respect to clients' births? A little bit. Sometimes it can bring up 
trauma and just being in the hospital setting or when things aren't going well and you can see, you can kind of recognize. But I think that's what makes me a good doula because I've been there. So I'm able to really empathize with people and hold space for them when they're going through that because I know exactly, of course, not exactly, but I can really, really relate to what they're going through in that moment. And I remember how important it was for the support when I was going through that. So, but yeah, sometimes I will have to do some processing just mentally. I'll be remembering things when I just, it takes a couple of days sometimes to recover, <laughs> you know, and just self-care. That's why most doulas only do a couple births a month. I'm still new, so I'm not by any means busy and booked up yet. I'm still kind of getting into it because my kids are still young. Yeah. Yeah. It's a balance. That's totally interesting. And is it just birth or you do postpartum as well? It's just birth right now. I have thought about doing postpartum or even lactation consulting, but it's still, you know, my career is kind of unfolding. Yeah. (laughs) That's super cool. That's cool that your experience drew you into this. And is there, is there anything you look back on now that you wish your younger self had known in this process? Ooh, good question. I think there's an balance because I I try and do this with my clients. I wish I would have known how painful and how traumatic birth can be. However, you don't want to scare people either. So I always start with clients. I try and prepare them, but I don't want to come up as negative either. Because some people do have very easy births and pregnancies. Or, and some people are able to manage the pain and, you know, even just being a new mom can sometimes be traumatic. It doesn't always have to be that everything went wrong. It's yeah. life change. So I wish I had known how significant of a life change and how how big of a deal it was going to be. I, I didn't feel adequately prepared. However, there's a balance in society, I think, between scaring people and preparing them. You kind of have to toe the line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do tend to think, Part of what makes a difference is if you present something as a certainty or a possibility. Yeah. Right? Like talking about preeclampsia does not mean that someone's going to have preeclampsia. Right. It just means this is a possibility in the world you are entering. And it's better to be aware of the things that you might confront and you might not. Right? There's no, right. There's no telling. But, but if you have confronted it, it seems like it's useful to find community in that. Yeah. Right? Right. It's not, it's just because, you know, when you were experiencing, when you experienced your hemorrhage and your preeclampsia, in a way that was you alone. It's you in your body experiencing that and no one else. And there's something lonely about that, right? There's something very isolating about the fact that you are in a state, you're totally vulnerable, you need other people's help. The good news is you had the help, right? It's not like saying you have some incurable disease. Right. right. Pregnancy can come with a whole bunch of things. Some of them are amazing. Some of them are not amazing. But as long as we have ways to address it, then yeah, that's exactly. what we can do. Yeah, exactly. That's so true. And I think that educating people in a way would help them feel more in control when they do, you know, not that it's better to go into it educated and rather than it be flung on you and you're like, I have no idea what any of this is. So I think you're right. Just education and doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen, but just to be prepared just in case. Because 
In part, it sounds like you were shocked by the retained placenta, right? That wasn't a thing that you had heard of before. I, I went into my first pregnancy, like preeclampsia and retained placenta, hemorrhage. I went in blind being like on a hope and a prayer. Everything's going to come great, you know? And yeah, so I kind of wish I had known more ahead of time. Yeah, I, I'm so sympathetic and you're totally right about it being a really delicate balance, right? Because you, yeah. you, and when you're pregnant, you do feel totally vulnerable. Right, yeah. More concerned with the home birth. I was more concerned about what could happen to the baby. Because I remember mentoring my midwife. I'm like, what do you have for the baby? How do you make sure the baby's safe? How do you resuscitate it? Blah, blah, blah. What's the backup plan? I never once considered I could possibly be the one that would have issues. You know, it's so funny. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it, it it's funny and it's also makes me mad because I feel like it's a not mad at you, obviously. But it no. feels like a social reflection of women's role in this, right? Is that we don't consider ourselves. Right. Yeah. My maternal mortality, if you think about it, it's a it's a crazy problem. It can be really dangerous. Yeah. 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 But you for sure have to consider yourself. And, and one thing I like about the direction we seem to be headed is that when I had my kids, there was no such thing as birth trauma. That concept was not around. Obviously, there was birth trauma and, right. and all kinds of reproductive trauma, but there's yeah. no way to talk about it. No matter what happened in the birth, preeclampsia, hemorrhage, emergency C-section, anything really, if everyone survives the birth without significant long-lasting injury, the course used to be, well, at least the baby's fine. Right, right. Which is such a negation of yourself and your body and all that you went through, right? I, I hear your story and I think you're so resilient and you're so powerful to have come away from all that. And to me, the decision to have the second child, which, and I say this because our first pregnancy was a disaster. And so the choice to have a second one was really hard. So whenever I encounter people who have a similar story, I'm super interested in understanding how did you overcome that hurdle? That's a big thing for you to have done and is really brave, right? That's an amazing thing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was. And yeah, I don't know. It was just sort of, like I said, I felt sort of in a way I was going to do it again in a more empowered way. <laughs> which, that, which you did, right? All of uh, that was super smart. You got right. more education. You you changed the setting. It yeah. sounds like you found a very specific doctor. Yeah. So you controlled all the things that you can control. Right, right. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I totally appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thanks again to Chantal for sharing her story. I appreciate her sharing her learning curve with all of us. One of the critical takeaways from her experience is the value and importance of research. And I'd add to her list to say that if you're planning a hospital birth, the most important thing you can do if you're interested in a vaginal delivery or in avoiding a C-section is to research the hospital in which you intend to give birth. Research suggests that the biggest predictor of whether a woman will have a C-section or not is the hospital in which she gives birth. A hospital C-section rate is, in part, a reflection of how well hospitals are set up to support labor. 
There are a few sites that rate hospitals based on their C-section statistics. The one that I know best is called Leapfrog Group, so be sure to check that out if that's your interest. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, wherever you're listening to it, please hit the share icon and send it to friends. We'll be back next week with another inspiring story.